BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. PG&E says its equipment may have contributed to yet another major wildfire this year. In a preliminary report filed with state regulators, the utility said yesterday that the fly fire may have started when a tree fell on one of its power lines. The fire started in Plumas County near Highway 70 and combined with the Dixie Fire late last month to form the largest wildfire currently burning in the state. PG&E says it's cooperating with the U.S. Forest Service investigation into what started the fire. PG&E says the data available to it doesn't establish the cause of the fly fire. Earlier, the utility reported that the Dixie Fire also may have started when a tree fell on one of its power lines near a dam in Butte County. The combined fires have now burned more than a quarter million acres. PG&E equipment has sparked some of the largest and deadliest wildfires in Northern California in recent years, including the Camp Fire, which destroyed the town of Paradise in 2018. While some of the 16,000 Northern California residents forced to evacuate their homes because of the Dixie Fire have been allowed home, conditions yesterday forced evacuation orders to be reinstated for one community. U.S. Forest Service fire behavior analyst Dennis Burns says they saw increased fire activity, particularly near the town of Greenville in Plumas County. Started seeing spotting up to a mile. Um, they pumped more crews in. All the aircraft that we had, including air tankers, were flying, and the fire was just outpacing everything that we were throwing at it. Hot, dry, and breezy conditions are expected through tomorrow and possibly into Thursday, which could lead to more erratic fire behavior. About 7,000 evacuees have been allowed to return to their homes since Sunday morning. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Turning to the pandemic, starting today, most counties in the Bay Area will require people to wear masks indoors in public spaces, no matter their COVID vaccination status. 
Health officers for seven counties in the city of Berkeley announced the order yesterday as case numbers surge. Here's Contra Costa Health Officer Dr. Chris Ferritano on the situation in his county. We are alarmed at the rate at which COVID patients are filling our community hospital beds. The number of patients in local hospitals due to COVID have doubled in just the past 10 days and increased by more than 400% in the month of July. The two Bay Area counties not included in the order are Napa and Solano counties. L.A., Sacramento and Yolo counties have all implemented similar mandates in recent weeks. Well, the surge of the COVID-19 Delta variant has led to a whole new phase of the pandemic. This time, it's different, says UCSF infectious disease expert Monica Gandhi. The phase we're in now is marked by a spike in cases, she said, but not in deaths. I spoke with Dr. Gandhi earlier. Can you explain what it means when we say that this Delta variant is more contagious than the original? Is that the same thing as saying that it is worse than the original? It's not exactly saying it's worse. It's just saying that one of its properties is very disturbing, which is that it has a high viral load and it is more transmissible, contagious. So three things about a variant you care about. Is it more transmissible? Check. That is yes for the Delta variant. Absolutely. Higher viral loads. It's spreading more quickly. Second, is it more virulent? Does it make people more sick? Unclear. There was some data that the CDC shared at the end of last week that indicates it's possible, but that isn't totally decided yet. Third, does it evade our vaccines? And that is going to be the worst thing that could ever happen with a variant. And this variant does not evade our vaccines. And is that true, doctor, across the board, whether we're talking about the Pfizer vaccine or the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? The, at least what we know from the Pfizer vaccine is that it's 88% effective in preventing symptomatic infection and 96% effective in preventing hospitalizations. But what we really need to know is, are we seeing more breakthrough infections with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? So there was a, a look at that from Minnesota that's indicated slightly more breakthroughs with Johnson & Johnson. I think we're waiting for other pockets of data, including the CDC, to tell us whether we're seeing more breakthroughs with Johnson & Johnson. Don't know the answer to that. It is possible, though. We have been told that symptoms are mild in vaccinated people who contract the Delta variant. Do we know if they are at risk for that long haul uh, version that we saw affect a lot of people when this whole pandemic began? We don't know that yet. I will say that people are really looking at that question avidly. In general, those who had more severe infection with COVID were more likely to get those longer symptoms. We see that in influenza as well and other um, major viral infections. We see more effects if you've had a more severe infection. These should be mild, and I hope not, but absolutely needs more study. Talk to us just statewide, how bad is the Delta variant and the pandemic in general in California right now? We have increased cases, and there are various places that would say, oh, we'd be back in the red tier if we were just talking about cases, 70% of our counties. But our hospitalizations are not at all following suit. Why? Because in the context of higher vaccination rates, cases and hospitalizations become decoupled. So we're not completely decoupled, but there are areas like San Francisco where the cases are high, but the hospitalizations are not following suit. They're mainly among the unvaccinated mm -hmm. and they're staying within good hospital capacity that we can manage. So this is the difference between this time and 
any surge that happened prior to relatively high vaccination rates, the surge does not feel the same way as it did before vaccinations. When I hear you say hospitalizations are in a totally different place than they were earlier in the pandemic, it makes me think, you know, maybe there actually is an end in sight. Is that too optimistic? I would really like people to take that from the end of our interview because there is an end in sight. So we always have places that are a little bit of ahead of us, right? And the UK is a good example that what happened in the UK as cases went up with this Delta variant, the hospitalization stayed manageable. They got through it and then cases started plummeting. And frankly, that was in the context of opening. But let's realize that they did open fully on July 19th. So there is an end in sight to this. It isn't the same like it was before. I know this feels like whiplash. I know this feels like it's the same. But it's not if hospitalizations don't track in the same way. The more and more immunity we can get in the population, the more we can keep down those levels of severe disease that close down society. That does not mean that places who have low rates of vaccination, which is not California, but Arkansas, for example, aren't doing poorly, they are. And so it is very important to get more and more and more vaccinations in people who are eligible. But there is an end in sight. All right, Dr. Monica Gandhi, thank you so much for your insights. Thank you. More California-based entertainment companies are requiring employees to get a COVID-19 vaccine. Now you can add Disney and Netflix to that list. With more, here's KCRW's Benjamin Gottlieb. The Walt Disney Company says all of its salaried and non-union workers must be vaccinated by the end of September. That is, if they want to return to in-person work. Disney says it's also making some progress with unions that represent many of its other employees, like workers at Disneyland, on a vaccine mandate. As for Netflix, all cast and crew members working on productions in the U.S. will also be required to show proof of vaccination. The streaming giant's decision is a first for the industry. Last month, Hollywood's major unions, including SAG-AFTRA, signed off on a deal that would allow production houses to instate vaccine mandates on a production-by-production -production basis. These return-to-work guidelines coincide with a troubling rise in COVID-19 infections across the state, which is being fueled by the more contagious Delta variant and plateauing vaccination rates. Just above half of Californians are fully vaccinated, though numbers have begun to inch up again in the last few weeks. For the California Reports, I'm Benjamin Gottlieb in Los Angeles. Oakland-based healthcare giant Kaiser Permanente is also requiring all of its employees and physicians to be vaccinated by the end of September. Here's Kaiser's Senior Vice President, Michelle Gaskell-Hames. When we look at our current conditions with the Delta variant and our current state of our hospitals, we are approaching a fourth surge. And we believe that this is what we need to do to keep our employees, our frontline workers safe, uh, our patients safe, and most importantly, also making sure that we're doing what we need to in the community to bring an end to this pandemic. Kaiser says more than 78% of its staff in Northern California are already fully vaccinated, and that includes more than 95% of its doctors. The company will allow for medical and religious exemptions, but beginning on August 23rd, Kaiser will require unvaccinated workers to undergo COVID-19 testing twice a week. A 27-year veteran of the L.A. Police Department has become the eighth LAPD officer to die from complications of COVID-19. The department has announced that Officer Becky Strong died yesterday morning. She joined the LAPD in 1994 and was most recently with the department's South Division Traffic Bureau. 
With the surge in cases in L.A. County, LAPD Chief Michael Moore says they've seen a recent uptick in positive cases. The water in Lake Mendocino is dropping at an alarming rate, threatening supplies for communities along the Upper Russian River. KQED's Ezra David Romero explains. Water in the reservoir is below minimum storage levels, stressing drinking water supplies and fish that depend on the river. In response to the worsening drought conditions, the State Water Resources Control Board has issued a curtailment order for more than 850 farmers and businesses, making it illegal for them to pull water from the river. The goal is to keep 20,000 acre-feet of water in the reservoir as a holdover in case of a third year of drought. If the current rate of decline continues, board officials say the reservoir will fall to that level six weeks faster than anticipated. More restrictions for downstream water users could come as soon as next week. For the California Report, I'm Ezra David Romero. Turning to tech, the trillion-dollar infrastructure bill moving through Congress includes language that could tax cryptocurrency companies. But as KQED's Aditi Bandlamudi reports, crypto lobbyists are pushing back. The current bill would require cryptocurrency companies to file information with the IRS so it could tax transactions. Some crypto companies like Venmo and Coinbase already store that information on centralized platforms. But other, smaller companies are decentralized and don't. Ali Medina is with the California Blockchain Advocacy Coalition. Those companies would not have access to the personal information needed to file a 1099. 1099 forms are used to report earnings other than salaries and tips. Advocates for the tax say it's high time to regulate cryptocurrency. But Medina warns small crypto companies could choose to exit the U.S. market altogether. For the California Report, I'm Aditi Bandlamudi in San Jose. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, August 3rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Support for the California Report comes from Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. 
Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs> <laughs> 